Welcome to Patient Advocacy Voices. I'm your host, Eric Racine, U.S. Head of Public Affairs and Patient Advocacy at Sanofi. The purpose of this podcast is to get to know the unsung heroes from patient advocacy groups. These are people who work tirelessly for the well-being of patients and their families. Together, we will uncover powerful stories from advocacy thought leaders and learn how they help patients overcome barriers to access and care. We're joined today by Dr. Laura Lee Hall, the President Emeritus of the National Minority Equality Forum Center for Sustainable Healthcare Quality and Equity. NMQF is based in Washington, D.C. We will discuss about an initiative called DRIVE, which worked to provide more equitable access to care, medicine, and vaccination. Now, my co-host today for this episode is Courtney Peters. Courtney is the U.S. Lead of Vaccine, Public Affairs, and Patient Advocacy at Sanofi. Hello, Courtney. Hi, Eric, and thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here today, and so I really appreciate the invitation. It is absolutely my pleasure to welcome Laura Lee to this episode of Patient Advocacy Voices. Hello, Laura Lee. Hi, Courtney and Eric, and I thank both of you. Would you mind describing what is a DRIVE program for someone who has never heard about it before? What a, how is its structure? Uh, is it a national? Is it a local? Uh, t- tell us what is DRIVE program. So DRIVE is an acronym demonstrating real improvement in value and equity. It began as a program for quality improvement for clinical teams. It really builds on the rapid cycle improvement model or PDSA model. The things I have brought to it over my tenure at first the ACP and now at NMQF's SHC is to really have a focus on equity, obviously, but also to enhance the importance of the clinical team in implementing a change that will produce improved outcomes, and then celebrating the individuals and successes who have implemented the program. We actually have online tools to implement what is really the easiest approach to quality improvement. They're free, available to anybody. They're in multiple clinical conditions, um, flu vaccine being kind of our original and largest program at this point, but we also have cancer screenings and we have diabetes and we have lupus, for example. But the program is also implemented in partnership with health systems and practices around the country. Those initial days of starting out in just few clinical practices Today is something much bigger. Well, we boast partnership with hundreds of clinics, literally, ranging from one to two doctor practices to FQHCs, free and charitable clinics, residency programs, and large systems, thousands of clinicians. We have more than 40 churches in our Faith Health Alliance. Last year, because of your work and your partners of the DRIED program, more than 100,000 people in underserved communities were vaccinated for flu. This is an incredible accomplishment. People working together is so critical to help patients. I often like to say that the problem facing the patients is too big, too complicated for one person or one entity or one stakeholder to solve. But it's not always easy to get different organizations to agree to work together. 
How did you convince the partners to join your effort? Once we got started, it became easier. So the first year in the drive flu initiative, for example, we had three systems involved and we really went out of our way to support them. And they realized a lot of improvement and it was an enjoyable experience for them. And we were able to help document that and also make sure that the participants in those health centers got recognition for their work. And so that kind of built on the momentum, if you will, it became a little bit easier to approach other health systems and engage other health systems. We actually are able to engage many health systems over and over again. It was a positive for them. They see the value. Another key to it, I, I think, is important to point out, and that is that um, working with national organizations, sometimes a challenge But if you are able to engage a national organization like the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics or a multi-site FQHC, um, which we work with our care that has over 60 primary care practices in four states, that that also becomes a great way to engage practices, sometimes incrementally, beginning with one or two and then expanding to more. But that is another way that we have been able to engage folks in In the program, because it's focused on equity, we have from the start been trying to engage members of the community and help our clinicians engage with the community, something that is not usually what they consider in their bailiwick. So we've been um, developing a network of black churches around the country, the Faith Health Alliance, a network of stylists and barbers in our hair initiative and even a community pharmacist ambassadors program, we have been able to get the clinicians closer to the community leaders so that they can really understand the needs of the community, can provide education that is trustworthy, and even provide services out in the community. So, Laura Lee, something that you just said about trust, you know, I think as leaders in this space, um, trust is such an important part of any successful patient advocacy program that's out there, regardless of what therapeutic area. I would love to dive in more to that because you're exactly right. It was finding that sweet spot between community leaders and engagement with them to incorporate the needs to build trust not only with the local clinicians, but I would love if you could expand more on that because that really was part of the magic potion that I think we've all come to realize um, with the DRIVE program itself. I think we know so many communities of color have been betrayed by the healthcare system, a betrayal that's etched into their very ethos. So proving oneself worthy of trust is kind of a portal to providing good care. I would note that it's not as daunting as you think if you're a clinician out there. Research has shown time and again that people of color trust their own healthcare providers and listen to them. Like most of us, people of color want to be healthy for their loved ones to be healthy. So in DRIVE, how do we help clinicians build that trust? Provide resources for understanding common viewpoints in the community providing information about the toll of inequities in medicine, 
providing training on effective engagement in the community, actually connecting them to community leaders. All of these approaches help the clinician build stronger bonds and grow trust between healthcare providers and communities of color. Laura Lee, that's so well said, because I think a couple moments that stood out for me was when these clinicians were introduced to these community leaders to be able to know that this was a collective effort. I think that's, for me, what really stands out when you start to see the trust being built by letting those local people be a part of the solution. I'm sure all your work over the years on Drive and your partners and your collaborator, I'm sure it was not all smooth sailing. Can you share with us a little bit about any setbacks that you may have encountered? Recruitment can sometimes be very difficult. For example, I can tell you in the area of flu vaccine, there's vaccine fatigue out there. The elephant in the room was the COVID pandemic in its darkest, earliest days. It it was a very challenging period of time. And of course, especially so in community of color. So how did we mount that setback? Well, some of the clinics participating in programs, they delayed the start of the program. Others brainstorm with us about what they could do while um, their offices were largely shut down. We also helped them brainstorm and connected them with experts about how to get out in the community. There was kind of creativity that um, developed into new approaches, some of which I think would be great to continue. And unfortunately, as health equity wanes as a a priority, we're seeing the loss of funding for a lot of these community-based programs. Engaging with people and helping them think about what's the priority for them and what other strategies might be helpful is really central to addressing setbacks and challenges. What comes to top of mind is flexibility and also by having these communities engaged, they become part of that solution. So when something like COVID or some major setback shows up, the trust is already built with these communities and they're willing to speak up of not just stopping the work, but how do we work around whatever the issue is? So they're truly becoming part of the solution. Just watching this work and watching it unfold and watching it be flexible and nimble by community, I think is one of the greatest um, things and measurements even of what success looks like in the DRIVE program. Many in the advocacy community understand the importance of partnering, but doing it is quite hard. Do you have any practical steps or experience that you may want to share to get started? It is hard. You know, approaching potential partners in the community, etc., requires uh, a leap of faith and listening. Sometimes, Eric, partnerships just don't work out. And you just, you know, you have to keep going. Sometimes in those partnerships, it may be the non-traditional partner that brings the most value. Partnering, gaining trust. You mentioned listening. 
And sometimes you're right. Sometimes some partnership just don't work. I think for me, it's just remaining open to the possibilities and to Laura Lee's point, staying passionate on what really matters. Let's wrap up uh, by discussing key learnings that have universal applicability to the patient advocacy community. Um, so, Laura Lee, another patient advocacy leader, I invite you to lunch, and he wants to learn from you, wants to learn from your experience. They want to do a better job providing appropriate care to underserved population. What advice would you give them? You know, I think one of the most important skills and approaches that all of us can take who are advocates for patients or clinician advocates for patients is to partner really with other organizations in a community who maybe have resources and approaches that can be helpful, that can help you brainstorm certainly community groups, so you understand what the local issues really are. Other organizations, national organizations, that may be able to bring ideas, resources such as the members or methods that they have tried and true. Partnering can be a real strength in thinking through and adapting and implementing effective programs. I think our listeners will recognize how being in community and patient advocate is rewarding. And even if you're overworked and burnt out, there's something that kind of relights your energy when you actually get into the community. I think our listeners are all motivated to do something that will make a difference. And I would just suggest that everyone should follow their dream who you are, what your strengths are, what makes you tick, what excites you, and be true to that, even through tough times. Of course, open to adaptation because you don't know when an opportunity will emerge, but each of us have something to give. And I think being uh, who and close to your dream is a very critical skill that we all could benefit from. It's a pleasure and an honor to learn from you, Laura Lee. You're truly an expert in what you do. Thank you so much. And Laura Lee, thank you for sharing your story. Oh, you guys are great. Thanks for your support. Thanks for this opportunity. And good luck to all of you advocates out there. Thanks for your time. I wish you every good thing. Stay tuned as we continue to bring you inspiring stories of courage, determination, and the transformative power of patient advocacy. And don't forget to subscribe to Patient Advocacy Voices to make sure you don't miss the next episode.